We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha and welcome to we this very Merry Christmas family. edition of the Layman's Lounge podcast um, from thelaymanslounge.com where we exist to bring everyday theology to encourage Christians for everyday life, all your comings and goings um, at the mall. But I guess we don't really do malls anymore. Uh, whatever, on Amazon. I'm Jason Estopa. I'm a business process analyst and a YWAMer in Kona, Hawaii. On, on, on the other line is Dr. Andrew Abernethy. Is that the right pronunciation? Yeah. Abernethy. Abernethy works, but you don't have to say all of that throughout this uh, conversation. You could call me Andy. So let's go yeah. with Andy. Thanks, yeah. brother. Hey, yeah. Merry Christmas. You got you have you had um have you had your first glass of eggnog yet? No, but you know, my all my students have gone back home and when we went, when we reconvened virtually after Thanksgiving, I asked my students, I said, so when I call your name for attendance, give me the highlight of uh, Thanksgiving break. And, and one of them said, oh, it was decorating our house. We got some eggnog. I'm like, all right, man, just my daughter was just asking me what eggnog is. How would you explain that? So, <laughs> so anyways, uh, I haven't drank any recently, but uh, I know but folks out there are. The thought of eggnog disgusts me, um, just because the words egg and egg is in there. Yeah, but it's so good. I it just tastes like melted ice cream to me. Yeah, <laughs> there's a reason people keep drinking it, right? Seriously. So Andy's the old test, an old testament professor at Wheaton College. He co-author of um, a book that just came out, I think, in November. Um, it's called "God's Messiah in the Old Testament: Expectations of a Coming King." And that's Baker Academic 2020. Again, God's Messiah in the Old Testament, expectations of a coming king. Um, it's for sure on my top five list for 2020. And um, you'll probably, I wonder if they're going to like superimpose you 2021 because it came out so like right at the end. But yeah. anyways, thanks for being on the call, man. I appreciate it. So yeah. you could, this first question, you could unpack a little bit later, but at the highest level, if you and I, we're a couple of Galileans swaying on a fish boat in, you know, 2030 years ago, throwing back some eggnog. Um, and we knew our scriptures and we knew the Messiah was coming soon um, or at some point. What about his coming on that first, you know, would be Christmas? Would we be excited about like especially that would touch on our day to day? Yeah, a couple of fishermen. I mean, some fishermen. What what are they thinking? You know about? They're thinking of all the taxes they're having to give to Rome. They're they're thinking about Rome as kind of dominating their region, and you know a lot of misconception that you hear people say is that during the um, kind of time that Jesus came, folks were hoping for a Messiah that would come and like throw off military invasion and that sort of thing. You get that in a few texts, but I think they would have been talking about a king who'd be reigning in righteousness. They, they'd be thinking about how uh, the king, the, the Messiah would be coming in 
overthrowing this unjust order that they're living in, you know, and be able to live in peace and just not have people, you know, um, digging into their pockets <laughs> that they've been working hard for and, and to be able to experience justice. So that, and that's a huge, yeah, well, maybe we'll talk a bit about justice and the uh, hope for a king, but, but I think that's probably what would be on the forefront. I like that you went straight for the throat of the, the, um, the enduring thought that, you know, that mainly the messianic was hope was that it was going to be a conquering king like David. You're not saying it's not that, but that's like sort of the enduring, like, um, so at the highest level, like when I read the old Testament, it seems like the old Testament people of God were concerned with things like things that like you and I are concerned with like family, financial security, prop, like property and their security of their property, the well-being of their community. Um, so does this coming Messiah that they were expecting, <clears throat> did he, was he to touch on those things or was he only concerned with saving people from hell when they die? <laughs> That's a pointed way to, to put it. You know, I, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at it. I mean, when the prophets are envisioning a coming Messiah, and in our book, we kind of narrow it down on a coming Davidic king. They never mention this, this king coming to like save people from eternal hell. They're thinking of how this king is going to come in and really set the world aright, set the, get, get things squared away in terms of justice across the globe so that there can be peace um to to set things up where the people will be centered around god and worshiping him and you know so um yeah so i i think very much i mean you look at what do we need for our families to be able to live at peace what, what do we need for for food to get onto our tables what, what do we need we need a context of peace we need a i mean you you uh, talk to uh, I'll tell you the story. I don't think I mentioned it. Uh, maybe I did include it in the book, but I remember one day when I was teaching on the prophets, I used to teach at a uh, Anglican um, co college called Ridley college in Melbourne. And a bunch of Sudanese refugees uh, ended up in Melbourne. And, and we had some that would come to the school because uh, a lot of them were training for ministry. And I was talking about the prophets one day and, and one of the students came up to me afterwards and, with this big smile on my face, a Sudanese former refugee. And he said, that would be very nice. And I'm like, oh, what, what, you, you know, will be really nice. He said, a king who, who rules with justice, you know? And, um, and I said, you know, right. <laughs> about, about what it's like not to live in a peaceful situation. And he's like, yes, I do. And so I think that uh, this Messiah coming it, you know, I, I don't want to say in light of Jesus, Jesus certainly came as a Messiah who had a plan to save people from their sins, save them from hell so that they could be with God forever. But the, the Old Testament hopes around the Messiah often focused on what the Messiah would bring for them in this world um, to be able to live peacefully with their families. Uh, and, yeah. If that's, if that is true, which it is, 
like, shouldn't the implications of that for like our daily Christian life be like really shaped by that? Like when I'm singing joy to the world with my kids or around, you know, my neighbors, I think most people are singing joy to the world because I don't have to go to hell. Like, really, let's be honest. That's what a lot of people are thinking. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, um, less than that, you know, as you were saying, but like you, I don't know if you have kids or whatever, but when you are saying the good news that the Messiah has come, like, what do you communicate? Like, Hey, good news, you guys, you know, like that for that Sudanese student, we could understand. And yes, it is in the book. And I say that because I want you to know, I read in its entirety and it was perfect gold. Um, thank you. But like for young people or, or just, just for your neighbor, people who don't have a Christian context, like, how is it good news that the Messiah came? They're like, huh? I don't know about the Old Testament. I don't care. I'm not Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's what I'd say. I mean, here's what's striking. So in the book, as you, you've read, Jason, I, I'm going to test you on a few other things from the book later to, just to really to me. see how closely. You know, I've that already footnote, begun translating it in Pig Latin. Uh, you know that footnote on page 64? You know, no, <laughs> no, I don't even know it's on page 64. And I wrote the thing. Um, I, um, yeah, so, so here, here's the thing about like, when we think about the Messiah and the Old Testament expectations, and bring that in light of Jesus, what we often get confused is that like, in Jesus in his first coming, he didn't fulfill all of what the Old Testament hoped for, for its coming Messianic King. You know, we would say he, he is the King that we hope for, but when he came in his first mission, I mean, here is God in the flesh. And I think a large part of his mission um, related to him fulfilling the aims of the suffering servant, which you see in, from Isaiah 53, this need for forgiveness of sins and this need for um, uh, us to be reconciled to God so that we're no longer under his judgment. So, but then there's this other surplus of expectation about a coming king. And so, so what I'd say is, Jason, you know, what's the good news about Jesus coming? There's great news in part in his first coming, of course. But we can also say, I can't wait for my king to come set this right. Mm. Yo, I, how do you solve Israel and Palestine? How do you solve all the issues in our world? You know, you can point to God has come in Jesus in the first coming. He has come humbly. He's come as a, as a king. But on the other hand, we are waiting for Jesus to come again. We are waiting for him to set all things right in light of just spreading justice and righteousness across the globe. And so, I mean, frankly, we could think of, hey, the Messiah came, and who's the Messiah right now? And I may be deemed a heretic. The body of Christ, the church. We are his people. We are the messianic pilgrim people, if you will. And we, if our king that we read about in the Old Testament is one that is going to come and bring justice around the world, then we should be trying to affect that even now even as we're waiting for god to come and make it fully realized when jesus comes again so so i'd say that like talking to a neighbor hey what's the good news well the good news is 
that this Jesus who we know has come and look what he's done. He's going to come again and make it right. He, he's going to wipe those tears that are coming down your face because you've lost friends in COVID or you've lost your business. Our king is going to come again and there is going to be peace like you've never known before. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I, I'm preaching here, Jason. No, um, I want the, I want but, the listeners to know there's literally a tongue of fire coming off of Andy right now. I wish <laughs> you could see what I'm seeing with my own eyes. Bro, that, that was good. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in the book you mentioned, like, you're like, well, what do we do with all these surplus um, sort of like unfulfilled, or I forgot your verbiage, but these these passages of, of these different strands. And then you're right, man, we just, those are clumped into the future because there is that that second coming. So Maranatha, yeah. indeed, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. In the book, you guys said Messiah how do you say this? Messianism? Messianism? You know, scholars just pronounce things however they want. So okay. Messianism, okay. Messianism, you know. Messiah. Okay. You guys said in the book, Messianism is one of is only one of several strands of Old Testament expectation that lead to Jesus. Yeah. Other strands include Jesus as the ultimate prophet the true priest or God himself, end quote. So I think most folks would just default to the fact that he was, like you said, like the suffering servant. I mean, in it, you know, that's probably kind of, we see that maybe a lot in Matthew or whatever. So yeah. that, that he atones for sins. So we could go to heaven and not really. Th- um, so, so, but we don't really think of these other strands of, uh, in another place you call them strands of hope, brother. Yeah. I like that. Can yeah. you speak to some of the other strands of hope that, yes. um, that are yes. part of the, the Messiah? You're feeling it. You're you've feeling just, it. You, you've just passed me a jug of eggnog here. Okay, let me have a drink of this. <laughs> this is good. This is good, Jason. The um, So here's the... Um, I mean, one of the strands that we mentioned there is this hope that God would come. If you look at Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, it says, when it says a voice in the wilderness, um, or it says in the wilderness, prepare the way for the, you fill in the blank, Jason. The eggnog bringer. The eggnog bringer, that's right. You prepare the way for the Lord, right? So the the hope that the people were to be preparing for, preparing the way for the Lord, that's capital, four capital letters in your Bible. That's prepare the way for Yahweh, prepare the way for God. No, we don't actually say Yahweh on this podcast. We just go, yeah. We don't even go that. Yeah, that yeah. Adonai. Can I say Adonai? <laughs> Hashem? Um, so we, so we, so the hope there is that they're preparing the way because God's going to come in. And a few verses later, it says, get up on a mountain, O Zion, you herald of good news. And the word herald of good news is just what we get gospel from in the New Testament. What's the message of this herald of good news? It's behold, your God comes. The grand hope of Isaiah of the Old Testament revolves around the fact that God himself is going to come. Now, I don't think in Isaiah's mind that they completely knew that 
when God came, this was also going to be a human. That was Jesus. But amazingly, it all comes together. And, and then all of a sudden you see this immediate promise of God with us from um, Matthew 7, 14 in this new light. Like, oh, my goodness, God is with us in Jesus. And so this fact that God would come is absolutely remarkable. And I, I love this verse in Isaiah also where, where it talks about how this God who's high and exalted, who, whose name is high and holy, who dwells in a high and holy place. This is uh, Isaiah 7, I think 14 or 15. I, I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with those who are broken in spirit and have a contrite heart. This picture that the Old Testament is giving of a God who is on high, but also who is willing to dwell with people. I think just points so beautifully to this hope we see in Jesus in a manger. And to, frankly, when I'm talking to my kids, um, that's a lot of what I'm pondering with them around Christmas time is God with us. Um, it's just such a remarkable uh, message. So that so that's one big strand. I think that all of a sudden, you know, passages that were applied to God in the Old Testament start being applied to Jesus, to a Jesus, a, a King in the flesh. You know, it, it's just a remarkable, remarkable, um, yeah, revelation we see when Christ came. Yeah, I, I wanted to, I, I didn't form a question because I didn't know how to form it. But one thing that I saw you guys were very intentional on was, was just that it's almost like a, what, it's not, how do I explain it? Like, yeah, there, we have a high Christology, of course, but there was this emphasis that I read, like you guys always, it's like, they're like, oh yeah, this is going to be, God is the one who doing, who's doing yeah. those things. Like, yeah. You made that point over and over. Yeah. Why, why do you, how is it, why is it helpful us to realize that, that, that it was God who's doing those things? All, like almost all these messianic expectations, it's like, I mean, is it what, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a big point we bring up um in the book and greg goswell when he approached me about the project i think he'd read something i'd written before and he liked how i made that emphasis because he makes that same emphasis and it'd be great to hear greg answer that um he, he was a joy to work with in my perspective like what's what what sometimes is challenging in the old testament is when you're reading these promises about a coming Davidic king, we often kind of think, well, Jesus was fully God, fully man. You know, that must have been what this passage was talking about. Right, right. But I think the original listeners would have been thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, a, a human king. You know, they'll be great to have a king like that who God has sent. Mm. And so seeing that, so clearly that whoever this Davidic king is, is really ultimately an agent of God. Hmm. It, the hope of the Old Testament isn't about a Davidic king. The hope of the Old Testament is what God is up to in making wow. all things new. And part of what God's making all things new through doing is going to be acting through this, what we see in the office of a Davidic king. Now, as it turns out, this Davidic king that we hope for turns out to be God too. But I think what it, it just brings a, 
if if I will, a theocentric, a God-centered kind of orientation to realize, hey, these hopes for a coming Davidic king, the these stem from God as king who's going to be bringing about his kingdom on this earth using the Davidic king. If I could just point to one verse uh, at the end of um, the passage we're also familiar with, but we usually don't read it this far um, in, in Isaiah chapter nine, we usually stop after the names of, of, um, of the king. And let me uh, turn there. So we got Isaiah nine, where it starting in verse six, it says for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So this hope of, of this coming king who, who will be a pointer of being counselor and pointing to God's might and um, bringing peace, but it goes on. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. Now get this, the final word here. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That God and his zeal is committed to bringing peace to the earth and is going to bring it about through a Davidic king. That, that's kind of what you're seeing here. Wow. And wow. we often talk about the Old Testament and the Messiah. And it's, you almost get the sense, yeah, the Messiah is the center point. no. Nah, Really, it's God is the center point who will be using a Messiah. So yeah, that's bro. my long that's my long answer. But you're I'm glad you picked up on that because that's something we we're hoping to get through to. Yes. Through to pra yep. Praise be to God for what a good God that He cares, man. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. In the book you guys go through, like each Old Testament book or groupings of books, and you sort of like exhaustively trace the passages. Yeah. And the historical development of the coming Messiah and his roles and function in nature, which is just, I mean, it's just so helpful. Um, would you, sh uh, how do I do this? I've got like eight classic Christmas ones, you know, yeah. like the and the donkey, angels and the shepherds, a star, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to rapid fire with these. Only reason I am is because I think you just like one off did like the, the magi and the gifts like referencing like solomon and sheba i'm like dang this is good so can we can we just i'm gonna i'm gonna hit you with a few of them right can you give right. us the messianic like what's going on at these points we'll start with the magi and the gifts all right magi and the gifts i mean you you think of uh folks streaming from uh, another country that's what i'm thinking coming to another country to pay homage to a king you see the Queen of Sheba doing that with King Solomon, this international recognition. Oh, so good. But I, but I think, I think more than anything, look at Isaiah 60. It talks about how the nations will be bring um, gold, and either I think gold and myrrh, to yeah. God when His glory appears, uh, appears, and so, so that's connected to the expectation of God coming. So, I, so I think when you see Jesus born in a stable, and you see these magi coming from the east with these gifts that were expected from Isaiah 60, you're like, mm. dang, they're acknowledging that this little baby in a manger is God. <laughs> they're acknowledging that he is king. So that fire. All right. Yep. I'm hitting you riding on a donkey. 
Yeah, so so my colleague uh, Greg wrote that chapter uh, from Zechariah. Uh, so we see this this vision of a of um, a, a humble king riding on, on a donkey, and it's not necessarily military uh, riding that he's bringing in, but riding humbly there. And so we see uh, this expectation there. But but as Greg brings out in that chapter, it's very closely connected, and could be even seen in light of the fact that God is coming peacefully now after having brought victory and you're you're getting all my christmas carols corrected right now i love it okay angels appearing to shepherds Mm, man Uh, angels angels what are we gonna do here what are we gonna do with this one (laughs) wow angels appearing to shepherds Uh, what should i be thinking of jason I don't know. Maybe the low, maybe the lowly. I don't know. Like the. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. If I can be free to just riff and not connect it to a specific. Do your tab. thing, bro. Yeah. I'm yeah. Putting you still... in a corner. You do what you need to do right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just, I mean, you, you see angels appearing to uh, in Matthew, for instance, to, to Joseph, first off. You're just getting a feel that what's happening here is cosmic. That these, oh, that, cosmic. these that that these angels are just astounded at the move God had make. You know, people are into the Queen's Gambit right now, uh, watching how uh, all the chess, you know, masterfully being played. I mean, I, I think that the angels are like, "Woo, man, okay." And then they are commissioned as God's, um, you know, agents to declare this to the. Uh, the shepherds and I, I agree with you it, it's God's doing everything with outsiders here you yeah. know Bethlehem a virgin Joseph I mean that's scandalous right if you think about okay. it God is just acting like kind of in a counter Herod sort of way here it's Come like we got a different sort of kingdom coming in so God's doing everything on, like what'd you say God's doing everything like on the outside and some cosmic action good good all right let me see I think I got one last one here John the Baptist John the Baptist yeah and if you want you can hit the star John the Baptist and a star and oh, okay. or yeah we got a star star rising in uh in numbers chapter 24 and what's striking there when they're looking at a star coming it's connected to uh, a king coming and this is one passage that is pretty uh violent um where they see where, where the messiah is seen as a star um but I, I know you're you're thinking mainly of the star that they see in the sky and how that's directed <laughs> to them. And I I just think it's again part of that cosmic plan of having angels, um, um, it, it, you know, involved and God is just maneuvering things. You know, it, Paul has this great statement at the fullness of time, God sent His Son. Yeah. Like man, you just see the some things happening at the right moment here for to point to the Lord. So good, bro. Um, so good. Yeah. Okay. You want some John the Baptist or no? You want to move on? Yeah, hit me with some. Hit me with some. Hit me with that hippie. Okay. So John the Baptist, man, th- this guy is remarkable. Wait, um, full disclosure. Yeah. John the Baptist. I was like, what? What does even John the Baptist do? Like, how is he actually even prepared? How is he actually even preparing the way? Like, he's just out there like, 
just calling down fire. <laughs> I'm ex- yeah, no yeah, pressure. He, he is just man. be perfect. <laughs> Jason, you could be the John the Baptist of Hawaii, man. <laughs> You're preparing the way for the Lord, right? So I, I, you know what's striking is how in the new a couple things John the Baptist. In Malachi, there's this expectation that a messenger like Elijah is going to come. He's going to be preparing the Lord for, or the Lord's people for the fire that's about to come. And so you see, he, John fulfills that mantle, but he's also described as a voice calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Um, that from Isaiah chapter 40. So, so in John's role, he, he he's fulfilling a couple prophecies there that mm-hmm. in a pretty remarkable way but his primary task was to prepare the way he prepared the way then he got out of the way right <laughs> so, um, okay. yeah so what you guys did was um at first i was like wait are these guys heretics i was like offended because you're like oh in genesis is you know it's not just one one person you know the i'm always look looking forward to like the serpent stomper right but you're like yeah. no it's like a collective you know so can you can you give the listeners a little a little history of redemption of the expectation how it narrows down starting at the garden yeah yeah so great great question jason all right so when you look at genesis 3 verse 15 that's the passage jason's talking about so God comes along after Adam and Eve have sinned and is like, yo, what's going on? And he bring, starts bringing curses. And God begins with the first curse for the serpent. And he tells the serpent, among other things, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. The word there between your offspring, that, that is Satan's offspring, the serpents, and her offspring, that word there is seed, right? And the, the seed of um, the woman's offspring will bruise the head of the serpent, but the seed of uh, Satan will bruise the heel of, um, of the woman's seed. The, the, the issue here. And the question we we ask is, what's expected here? And I think what we see here is that there is an expectation that there will be enmity. That means a fighting, a battle between the offspring of Eve and Satan's offspring. There's going to be a cosmic battle happening. And that eventually Eve's offspring will crush the head of the serpent although the serpent will um, kind of bruise the heel of, of women's offspring. What a lot of times people do is they'll see this and say, well, this is Jesus. Jesus is going to be this is the seed of woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent. Now, I would say I believe that, but I wonder if we're missing something if we only read Jesus back into it. Because here's the thing. In the very next chapter, what do you see happening in Genesis 4? 
you see Satan and Eve's offspring in a battle. Remember how Cain was so, you know, mad at his brother? Mm. And God says, hey, Satan, at your door and wants you, you know, and but you must rule over it. There's this battle going on between Satan and the offspring of, of Eve. And so the, the hope, I think, here is that eventually someday there will be an offspring that can overcome Satan's offspring in the sense of not giving into Satan's temptations, not and living in a way that is Godward instead of towards what Satan is pulling mm-hmm. them towards. Mm-hmm. So I think we start off broad. I, I think it's more of a hope for a corporate sense of uh, Eve's offspring in general overcoming. Mm-hmm. And we see as things develop, though, in Genesis, there is eventually hope from Eve's offspring that centers upon Abraham's offspring. Okay. That then okay. centers upon this hope through um, uh, Israel or Jacob's sons. And there begins to be a narrowing that perhaps overcoming the serpent will come through Israel. Um, but w- things don't really aren't immediately, I think, centered on just one individual offspring. Right. But over time, it becomes clear that a Davidic king will have a decisive role in leading Israel. But what we lose if we only focus on one offspring of Israel, of Eve, namely Jesus crushing Satan, we miss out on what Paul says in Romans. That in Romans it says that God will soon crush Satan underneath whose feet? Your feet, you church of Rome. There's a sense that although Jesus is the individual hope for one who brought a defeat of Satan, there's also the sense that in Jesus doing that, he's created a humanity, new humanity out of his church to be able to also have victory over the evil one too. So, so I, I, I want to be able to, I think, read the whole of scripture well and I think it invites us to kind of find a way to keep together this corporate hope of Eve's offspring overcoming um, the evil one, as well as how Jesus could take on this role of all of humanity, too, and crushing mm-hmm. itself and leading the way. So at, is, at is what what you, point, yeah. yeah, no, that was it. Now, at what point is there? So there's this sort of corporate thing as, you know, you know, Jesus, the, you know the second Adam or the federal head, this sort of makes sense. But yeah. at, at some point it does narrow, um, you know, like, like I think you guys were saying in the writings itself, where it's sort of like a, there is a specific, like a, a, you know, is there a specific, um, you know, shoot of Jesse? Was that, are we, are we still talking the whole, are we talking the whole tree? Will that shoot become a whole tree? Or we're talking like that's one stick that we're going to like spank satan with <laughs> yeah i don't know but i've never thought, not thought of of that connection um with the isaiah 11 passage but well here's what's striking to me and i think it comes out in the book that theme drops off in terms of explicit mention 
you know, the, the word seed isn't used as much, say, as, as one might hope, you know, when it's talking about a Davidic king. But you can kind of piece things together um, hmm. it, as you look at the hopes of what God had promised to Abraham begin to be centered upon King David. You see that in chapter, you know, seven of Second Samuel seven, where it's like, hey, your name's going to be great and so forth. And, and there's this hope that this king would actually be righteous, would obey Torah. And that's, of course, the problem with all the kings and kings that they weren't obeying, you know, so we're waiting for this king who, unlike Adam and Eve, wouldn't give in to um, uh, the temptations of the evil one. And then when we see Jesus rock up and just like masterfully handle Satan's temptations in the, in the wilderness, you're like, all right, man, here's the offspring of Eve we've been waiting for, you know, here, here's the one who can handle these temptations. And, and um, so, yeah. So are you, are you saying like, sort of like the, the nuanced version is, The messianic expectation for the two guys drinking some new wine in the in the you know in a in a boat in the year 20 you know you know 2030 years ago are they thinking one individual um or are they thinking corporate or are they thinking one individual that god is empowering and then that empowered individual will sort of empower the corporate like what what is the sort of the, the summary on that? Wow, that, that's a great question. I would say at least in how it turns out, your latter option, <laughs> what they're exactly ex- expecting, you know, it, it does seem to be there's growing expectation that a Messiah will come and do something important in that intertestamental period. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see Paul even develop this idea of Jesus as the second Adam. Um, and I, I don't think he invented that, you know, that, that, that was um, part of Jewish thinking. But, but what happens is, and how it's developed surprisingly in the second Adam, who also dies for sin and overcomes the consequences of the sin that Satan tempted humanity into anyways. So, um, Good. okay, I found it super compelling how you guys like sort of see a parallel between Chronicles and the New Testament witness. I kind of love that. I will say you guys threw in some nuggets all throughout the book, a little nugget here, just a little quick one-off little pastoral, but the pastoral ones were good, man. Can you, can you hit us with that? All right. So I think what you're talking about is how um, uh, the sense in Chronicles. All right. So, so imagine you've come back from exile You've got a temple built, you got priests, but you don't have a king. You know, who, who are you, you know, still? You're under Persian Empire. And what, what Chronicles gives us is a story, a retelling of Israel's story that helps these people regain a sense of their story. Mm-hmm. That they are a people who can keep carrying on the mission that the Davidic king cared about. King David in Chronicles is obsessed with the temple. Um, you, you get all the, and they can carry that, what their king, the messianic, what the Davidic king 
um, hope for it, they can live that out. And the other thing you see in Chronicles, I mean, they leave out some of the like stuff that most of the readers or listeners know about, like um, David having uh, adultery with Bathsheba and killing her husband. They leave that out. They leave out like um, Solomon's uh, many wives and so forth. And, and you're like, wait a minute, you know, are they pulling a fast one on us? No, the people knew those stories. They already had kings. But what the story was trying to give them is saying, no, listen, your history that led you to exile with all these failed kings. Yeah, that is part of your story. But let's remind you of the good in that story, too of Davidic kings, even though you don't have one right now, there's hope that life can still be good with a Davidic king and you can hold out hope for one in the future. But in the meantime, you can keep carrying on. You can keep carrying on the mission of what the Davidic king hoped for before yes, uh, while sir. you're in this time of waiting. So yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Come on. I love. So, okay. Uh, and you guys go out of your way, not not to like narrow it down because there's so many strands. But prior to reading your book, I'd be like, oh, Messiah, suffering servant. That, yeah. That's that's what's up. He's the suffering servant. Saving people yeah. from their sins. What, yeah. you know, what, you know, I'll merge that question with this one. And you could kind of give us like the one liner that we like hang our head on. Um, so like having collected and spoken to the passages and threads of the messianic strands, you close the book using the analogy of a mosaic. And this yeah. mosaic says human flourishing. So can you can you speak to what this biblical mosaic looks like and like how it's composed in different angles? And yeah. then is human flourishing? Is that like is that like the one liner that like the Messiah can I, I love it. I love that man, but yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I wrote this book a couple of years or probably a year and a half ago. So I can't remember writing human flourishing in there. But if I did, I must have had a good reason for it. Right. <laughs> uh, but I, I remember the mosaic because I, I wrote the conclusion uh, there. Like, so here's what here's what's striking when you look at all the different prophecies about a coming king. A lot of them are highlighting different things they're not all the same but they're all promoting maybe we could say human flourishing when a davidic king comes what are they going to do one of the biggest things they do just like david prioritized just like solomon did was to build the temple to center the people around god's presence so that would promote human flourishing when a davidic king comes in isaiah if you look at all four of the texts we look at in Isaiah 9, 11, uh, 16, and maybe 32, the one characteristic there that's repeated in all those passages is that the king will reign and bring justice and righteousness to the world. Okay. You can't have flourishing without peace under justice and righteousness across society. Um, when you think of other passages of a Davidic king coming, even as a violent in terms of what's happening there is overthrowing military um, uh, oppressors. Here, you know, you think, um, yeah, so again, flourishing uh, can result from that. And I'm going to hit the listener with this line that you guys said. Yeah. Quote, 
the most prominent characteristic, especially in the narratives, is that the Messiah promotes the centrality of the divine king in his temple. So divine yeah. king in his temple, like, like you were saying. And then yeah. you continue on a little bit down. You say, the second most re recurring characteristic of the ideal king is his role in the ensuing justice in society. So we've got divine king, his temple, justice, which you've you've literally been hitting those that entire time, yeah. time kind of saying that, yeah. that anti right thing of putting things to right. Now, all that to say, the Messiah has come. We know he's going to come again. So brother, like, how do you, as a, as a Christian, as a dad, how, how do, how does like a mechanic or a busy mom or, you know, just some average old person who's clothed with Christ, wh what is our response after we've been like, yes, Jesus is the King. I'm not God. God is a good God. He cares. Um, yeah. There's a lot of injustice and it sucks. Um, I just Maranatha, but what, is there any call to action besides saying, Wow, that was cool. You made away Maranatha. Well, I, I'd hope that we could at least say that, right? C come again, Lord. Come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Um, I mean, I wouldn't minimize the the fact that God cared. Mm. That that God did not. God did not give up, and you. Here's the thing. I, I've been teaching Old Testament lit this. Um, semester we cover the whole testament with students who don't know i have never really read it much before and i asked them yesterday in class i said all right so you've been reading the old testament um during covid during all this how is it connected to your life and one of them had this great illustration she said it helped me remember that right now is just a speck of time in comparison to God acting throughout all these different seasons and phases of time and life. Even when he didn't seem there, it, it, people couldn't see him. He was still working. He was okay. still at work. And I, and I think that right now we're in a time where people are wondering if God cares how this is going to work its way out. And I think looking at the fact that God came. There had been how many years had it been since there was a Davidic king? Over five, six hundred years by the time Jesus came. That's a long time of waiting. Hmm. And I think that seeing that he God was faithful to come and send his son Jesus is just something to relish. And as we're waiting now to hold on hope. Uh, and relish our, our God who may be slower to act than we, we would like. Um, the other thing I would just say is what we were talking about before, who, who's, where's Jesus now? Well, he's in heaven, but he also calls us his body. We should be a people that look like our Messiah. His yeah. spirit should be bringing about that in our individual lives, but we should be thinking, how can we be like God going to the margins, reaching out, being God's hands and feet uh, during this time of, of where people need to know that God cares and God was willing to do that by taking on flesh, going to becoming obedient to the place of death even death on a cross, 
being born in a manger, calling shepherds. I mean, having a son raised in Nazareth, which would have been like poverty level. I mean, it's, I think we're called to let some of that rub off on our souls as we have hope to show that kind of love, especially to those who are on the margins. So cosmic activity on the fringe brother that i'm gonna i'm gonna keep I like that, that. hey that was you that was you that's what, <laughs> that was super good the uh the book is god's messiah in the old testament expectations of a coming king baker academic 2020 um co-authored with dr andrew abernethy yeah abernethy. and greg goswell is my co-author yep so brother Yeah, well, thank you and uh, for having me on the show. Your listeners are blessed to have someone like you leading the way. You're a fun guy to talk to, so thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas, brother. Aloha. (laughs) We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to leave.